everyone and welcome into this Smith and Seidel show. And this is either our 10th or 11th episode if you count our uh, NCAA Maction football preview show. I'm Jacob Seidel alongside Zach Smith across town on the computer monitor on our Discord server that you can find by searching Smith and Seidel. You can also find us on Twitter by searching at Smith and Seidel and wherever podcasts are found including Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. Don't forget about Sportscaster. We do a lot of uh, live streaming on there. Well, we're going to be doing a lot more live streaming on there, but can't forget about them. Yeah, Sportscaster, we're going to start going there. That's Sports, C-A-S-T-R. Well, there you go. That's that's pretty much it. That's all the ways to reach us. Shameless plug. Uh, You can call me personally. (laughs) (laughs) I don't think you want random phone calls from like Indiana or like Alaska calling you. I don't think you'd enjoy that. Oh, you never know. New Very fr- true. Strangers are just friends you haven't met yet. Good take. Good take. So we'll start this week off like we do every week. Today in sports history for November the 10th, 1991, we go back to where the Cleveland Browns, Bernie Kozar, set the streak of 308 pass attempts without an interception, although it was ended in that game. At the time, it was an NFL record, but the current record is held by the Green Bay Packers' Aaron Rodgers at 402, and that was broken on December 30th, 2018, and I believe it was broken by Tom Brady before that. Yeah, it's, it's quite a, a feat to not throw an interception, and it it's very good for teams to not do that. Turnovers are the way to lose games, so credit Aaron Rodgers, one of the best to do it. He does not turn the ball over much. And I'd like to see another Cleveland quarterback go 308 passes without throwing, uh, throwing an interception if you catch my drift. Uh, That'll take us uh, straight into segment number two today. They may be grown up, but they don't know what they'll be at the end of the season. It's time for What Will I Be When I Grow Up? Well, great old segment here. We ask a, a question about any team, an object, a football team, a player, anybody can be named here. And we project what they'll look like in the future. We're kind of fortune tellers. So going to go ahead and get this one started here. When the playoffs begin this season, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers will be what? I'm torn on this one. But the Buccaneers were humanized uh, and lost to the Saints for the second time this season, which a lot of people didn't think was going to happen. But I think the weaknesses of the Bucks are out, and I think they'll make the playoffs just barely and then have a one-and-done. So one game and then straight back to the couch for TB12. Zach, at the end of the season, the Notre Dame Fighting Irish will be what? Oh, hang on. I forgot to take that one out. We're doing pro sports today. It's okay, we'll edit it out. Zach, at the beginning of the Major League Baseball season, 
Francisco Lindor, currently the shortstop of the Cleveland Indians, will be a member of what MLB team? You see, you got to look at this one really, really carefully. Cleveland, for some reason, isn't going to re-sign their best player. And that's that's going to hurt this team tremendously. And I don't know why they're not going to re-sign him, but they're not going to re-sign him. With the last year being on his contract, they are going to try to get a King's Ransom for Francisco Lindor. And I don't know if you're going to see a lot of teams looking to give that up. However, however, I, I can pinpoint a team that might want to look into going into or looking into that shortstop, a team that could be pushing for some playoff contention, a team that really would love another superstar on this team. No, it's not the New York Yankees. No, it's not the Boston Red Sox, but the Los Angeles Angels. Now, I know the Angels are a little bit strapped for cash at the moment, having just paid Mike Trout a lot of money. Anthony Rendon is still there. You got a pretty solid squad around you in LA. But what you can always do is go get more talent and surround this team in talent. Now, what the Angels need is a pitching rotation. That's what they need. But if they want to take this offense to another level, I could really see the Angels looking into Francisco Lindor. The other team that I could really see maybe go make a push for him, maybe do this would probably be the New York Yankees. And that's just because the Yankees just have an absurd amount of money that they can just throw wherever they want. And um, nothing says uh, just put more tape on it, like signing yet another all-star to their already fantastic roster. So those would be the two places I'd look. So the Bronx or Anaheim? Hmm. Good takes, good takes. Now, is that going to be via trade or via free agency? It'll be via trade. Um, I don't see the Indians letting him go in free agency. Um, when when you have a player that you know is not going to want to be in your building, but here this, this is the messed up part about it, is Lindor wants to be a Cleveland Indian. The Cleveland Indians want to keep him, but they're saying, oh, we don't have the money for it. You, put, you have the money for it, but... In a situation like this where you know you're not going to be able to retain a player, and you see this a lot in the NFL and the NBA, when you know you're not going to be able to retain a player, you want to get the most value out of them as possible. So you'll look to trade him. And again, the Indians are going to be looking for a king's ransom with this type of deal. But if you want to get this out timely enough, because you're going to have teams that are going to sit there and say, oh, we'll take our chances when he hits free agency. Or you can turn and say, well, we're going to turn and get him right now. Similarly to what the Dodgers just did with Mookie Betts. You know, the Red Sox wanted to get rid of him, knew they weren't going to re-sign him. Let, we're going to let him walk. The Dodgers ended up paying a, a fraction of what they were going to. And now they signed him for the next decade plus. So I look for something similar to that. So now the question falls to you and the NFC least, as many people call it, the NFC East in the NFL at the end of the regular season, who will be the winner of the worst division in football? The winner of the worst division in football. 
with a record of five and eleven, which I think would be the worst record in the history of the NFL to win a division is going to be the Washington football team. Hot take, hot take, I know. Especially because they're going through quarterbacks. But I think this defense can kind of turn it around, win one more game, or what, two more games for him. And I think that's going to be all she did. My second place team is going to be the Eagles. But I think the Washington football team is going to come out with a record of 5-11 and 11 and win the NFC East. I mean, I, I can't agree with that. I, I, I cannot. The Philadelphia Eagles will win this division. But it's not going to be as close as you think. Because after what I saw this past weekend... I'm kind of starting to ride high on another team in the NFC East. The Philadelphia Eagles have a tough little schedule ahead of them. They have to win at least three or four of these games. I don't think you're going to see them do it. You have the Giants one more time in New York this coming week. You've got the Cowboys to end the season. Those are the two games that Philly should have a solid shot to win. But then you have at Cleveland, you have to go, you play the Seattle in Philadelphia. You're not winning that one. You have to go to Lambeau. You're not winning that one. You have to play the Saints at home. You're not winning that one. The only other one that I could see you maybe winning is the Cardinals. However, the team that I like a little bit more is the Dallas Cowboys. Now, the Dallas Cowboys are two and seven on the year. They have not had a good year, and losing Dak Prescott for the year really, really hurt this team. But. The reason I think the Dallas Cowboys will be the winner of the NFC East is because of what I saw, not out, not only out of what I saw of their offense, but of their schedule as well. This is the Dallas Cowboys schedule who sit at two and seven at Minnesota. They play Washington again. They have to go to Baltimore where you'll lose that game. You go to uh, Cincinnati where I think you have a pretty solid chance of winning that game. You have to play the 49ers, which that's going to be a tough game. But then you get the Eagles and the Giants. Realistically speaking, if you're the Cowboys, you can win like five or six of your final games. Now, is that all realistic? Probably not. But I think the winner of the NFC East is the Dallas Cowboys. Get another solid pick there in the dumpster fire of the NFC East. Zach, at the end of the 2021-2022 season, the Brooklyn Nets will be what? The Brooklyn Nets. Well, this is tough to say because this is going to be a new team under a new identity with a new coach. Uh, Steve Nash is now the coach of the Brooklyn Nets. Kevin Durant, we have yet to see in a Brooklyn Nets uniform. Kyrie Irving has been nothing but injured and kind of inconsistent since he left the Cleveland Cavaliers all those years ago. Brooklyn just finished 35 and 37. Not bad. Not bad at all. But in, in a division where you're looking at a couple of different teams, the Celtics, the Sixers, and the Raptors all above you, you luck out that you're in a division with the, uh, the New York Knicks. But if you're Brooklyn, this is going to be a tough, tough task for you. But you're playing in the, N in the NBA's 
Eastern Division. That being said, at the end of the 2021 season, I think, or the 2021-2022 season, I think that the Balt or the Brooklyn Nets will be the eighth seed in the NBA playoffs and will lose in six games. It's a spicy take right there. Hey, you want way too early stuff here. That's what you're going to get. <laughs> and now for the final question of this segment. Before next season begins, Bradley Beal, the guard for the Washington Wizards, will be a member of the Sacramento Kings. Look, I don't follow the NBA that much, but I know the Kings have been back and forth in the last decade, and they're looking to really establish themselves in the uh, Western Conference. I think the Kings can get some money, get him in there, and maybe start having a little bit of a run in the West, maybe see where it goes. Of course, the West still stacked. With We'll see what Golden State does. The Lakers, we'll see how the Clippers do with a new head coach. And of course, you can never count out Greg Popovich in the San Antonio Spurs. But I think he will be a Sacramento King. I like that take. I also like Bradley Beal to the Lakers. Yeah, but the, the one Lakers, more guard. The Lakers already have so many talented players. I think he'd just get overshadowed. But you'd have room for one more max extension player. And here's the thing. Bradley Beal does not get the respect he deserves in the NBA. Now, believe me, I'm not the biggest NBA guy either, but I know how good Bradley Beal is to his team. And this is a guy who has not had consistent help his whole career. He is putting up great numbers the past two to three seasons. And he keeps getting snubbed for all-star games and for even just getting mentioned. Bradley Beal not only wants a ring, but he wants to put respect on his name. Very, very similarly to Devin Booker. But the Phoenix Suns are right there. The Phoenix Suns are going to be something this year. But if you ask me, Bradley Beal needs to go somewhere where he's going to be able to thrive. Anthony Davis with the Pelicans was in a small market team. He was kind of well-known, but at the same time, he's he's nowhere near what Luka Doncic was with the Mavs or LeBron with the Lakers or Jimmy Butler was when he was at the Sixers, Joel Embiid with the Sixers. You're looking for that team that's going to put you into that big market. Look at Anthony Davis now. Anthony Davis now is an NBA champion and at the same time is recognized as one of the best in the sport. Bradley Beal going to the Lakers is going to get the attention he wants. He's going to make those big shots. He's definitely an upgrade over Danny Green and an aging Rajon Rondo and put him with LeBron and Anthony Davis even when LeBron inevitably retires, Bradley Beal and Anthony Davis in L.A. for the next six to eight years is going to be a scary L.A. team for years to come. Bradley Beal to the L.A. Lakers. Another good take there, Zach. We'll go now to the NFL. And Zach, you're squealer. <laughs> Squealers, pardon me. I've been listening to too much Cleveland Sports Talk Radio. The Steelers squeeze one out in Dallas. 
I'm sorry, Zach. I did not mean to do that. No disrespect meant to you or your team. The big news in this one, though, Ben Roethlisberger went down late in the half with a knee injury, but he did return to get the win by scoring 15 unanswered points in the fourth quarter. Yeah, that that game was a game that should not have been a game. And what I mean by that is you're going up against a team that at the moment was a two and six Cowboys team. This is a, a Steelers team that not only just beat the Titans in Nashville, but the Ravens in Baltimore. Now, that being said, I'm going to mildly defend Pittsburgh here for a second. You're going up against arguably the most dangerous running back in the NFL on Derrick Henry and the toughest rushing offense in Baltimore who put up over 200 yards of rushing alone on the Steelers in Baltimore. The Steelers were tired. The Steelers game plan the heck out of that game for Baltimore. And now you're going into a stretch of three weeks where you've got Dallas in Dallas, the Bengals in Pittsburgh and Jacksonville in Jacksonville. This was a trap game for the Steelers. The Steelers are known for playing down to their competition occasionally. Now, that that's my mild I'm gonna give a mild pass here. That's my that's my little bit of a I'm giving you a pass. But at the same time, you are playing a fourth string quarterback. Now we saw what good defenses can do with a fourth string quarterback last year for Pittsburgh. But that's not the Cowboys. The Cowboys have a solid offense still. You still have Amari Cooper. You still have Michael Gallup, CeeDee Lamb, Zeke. You still have these players out there on the field. You still have a, like, an okay offensive line, although the offensive line was hurt. But credit to Gilbert, the quarterback, and to Mike McCarthy, the head coach of the Dallas Cowboys, for getting things going. But the Steelers win when they need to. The Steelers pull out a tough victory. You know, and, and I want the Steelers to get a little bit of respect on their names because every time there's a question asked towards the Steelers, they seem to answer it. But performances like this shake the trust in people. Um, again, if Roethlisberger's feet were stuck in the turf and he suffers a major injury in that game, th this season does not look all that good. And I mean, at the same time, Roethlisberger came out, he was able to get 15 unanswered to win that game. A win is a win, no matter how you get it. That's the way that you look at it in sports. That's the way it was when I was growing up. That's the way that we looked at it in high school. Now that I'm a college student, that's how you look at it. Ugly wins are ugly wins, but they're wins and they're how you learn. The Steelers sneak one out and they're the only team undefeated in the NFL. Now I got to ask you the question, with the next game coming against the Cincinnati Bengals, should the Steelers play it safe and rest Roethlisberger to let his knees heal an extra week? I say yes. I think this is a no-brainer. Uh, the Steelers haven't had a bye week since their cancellation with the Titans in week four. Uh, this is a tired Steelers team. I wouldn't just rest Big Ben in this one. I think you have a solid chance to win against the Bengals with a lot of second stringers in there. That being said, the Bengals are no pushover. Joe Burrow has looked fantastic this season, but I just don't think the Bengals have the offense or the defense even to handle the second team for the Steelers. And it would Mason, Mason Rudolph would be the starter if they rested Ben Roethlisberger. I think you need to rest him. 
not only for his knees, but just to make sure he's fresh for the second half of this season. So I agree, but I don't. And and here's my mythology or mythology towards all this. Um, ben Roethlisberger stated last week with the uh, be, at the interviews before the Baltimore Ravens game, and he stated that this type of game is the one that you wish to have your bye week after. The Steelers were supposed to have a bye week eight before COVID nineteen and the, all the panic that went into it. Week eight was supposed to be the bye. Week seven was supposed to be Baltimore's game. And as I said, this team was tired going into this Dallas game. The next couple of opponents that Pittsburgh has now, they again, it's Cincinnati this week, Jacksonville next week, and then they have the Ravens in Pittsburgh on Thanksgiving night. And that's going to be a game that a lot of people are going to circle. But the week after that is Washington. I agree that Roethlisberger should have to sit, not not have to sit, but should sit this week against Cincinnati. But you have him suit up. You turn to Mason Rudolph. Can you handle starting this week? We're going to keep the offense out there. We're going to give you everything that you need. This defense is still going to come out and play. The defense won't let them, won't let the coaching staff sit them. Not this week. They've got a job to do. Now, you sit Roethlisberger to start the game. He's going to be in full pads and everything like that, but he will not be out there unless the Steelers are down by like 20 points by the end of the first quarter. I don't think that you'll let that undefeated season go away just yet. But at the same time, I think you have to look out for the longevity of this season. And with the end goal being a Super Bowl ring, which the Steelers very much so can do, I don't think you risk the health of Ben Roethlisberger against a, a game against the Cincinnati Bengals. Not that I'm saying anything negative about the Cincinnati Bengals. I'm very, very proud to see what they're looking like this year. This offense is no joke. Joe Mixon's coming back. This is a team coming off of a bye. But this defense, I don't think, can keep up with Pittsburgh's offense. So it it, it all depends on where this team lies. But knowing that Roethlisberger sat out last year all season, he will not sit this season if he does not have to. So look for him to start this week against the Bengals. Should he sit? Probably. But will he? No, he will not at all. We'll go now to Arrowhead where the Panthers and Chiefs did battle and Panthers made it close. Really came down to a botched surprised onside kick and then a botched intentional onside kick where uh, Sly was called for illegal touching as the ball didn't travel 10 yards before he picked it up. Are the Panthers for real, or did Kansas City have a bad day? I, I think it was a little bit of both, but I don't think it's it's really one or the other. And you and I actually got to sit and watch football for the first time this year, watching this game, which was fantastic to do, by the way. But you you look at two things. First of all, And I said this in a tweet when I sent it out this weekend. Carolina is doing the perfect game plan against Patrick Mahomes. Score on the opening drive and eat clock. That's how you beat great offenses. The Steelers did it against the Titans. People are learning how to do it against Baltimore and Lamar Jackson. And now teams are finally doing it against Patrick Mahomes. Carolina looked pretty solid this was in arrowhead and carolina lost by i want to say two so 
This is by no means a Carolina team that's going away anytime soon. You gotta like what you see with this Carolina team. Teddy Bridgewater's got this team looking good. You see the difference Christian McCaffrey makes on the field. And these wide receivers are no joke. DJ Moore and Robbie Anderson are solid players. The defense has room to grow, but you're not going to contain Patrick Mahomes in this offense forever. The problem is with the Panthers is that they need to be able to finish drives with touchdowns, not field goals. Now, Joey Sly, he missed a field goal that just doinked off that bottom corner. You had a missed PAT. Those are, you have to play perfectly to win games against good teams. But at the same time, Kansas City kind of looked lost on defense, which is where their problem is and where their problem's been. This offense for Kansas City, you won't beat it. You won't beat it. If you try to say, well, we're just going to throw and throw and throw against Patrick Mahomes, you won't do it. Mahomes has Kelsey. He has Clyde Edwards, Hilaire, and Le'Veon Bell. And, oh, yeah, Tyree Kill and Sammy Watkins, as well as Nicole Hardman at wide receiver. This offensive line is solid. This is a Kansas City Chiefs team on offense that is almost unbeatable. The defensive side, however, is very, very vulnerable. You can stretch them out. You can win that type of game. But you have to know ball control. And without Chris McCaffrey, that game is not all that close. I like what I see from Carolina and Kansas City. As much as you're going to sit here and breathe a sigh of relief and the media is going to turn and paint Kansas City as the, the same type of team, the, the Steelers are still right there. Baltimore is not going away either. Although we'll get to that Baltimore game. Pittsburgh lost to a two or almost lost to a two and six Cowboys team, now two and seven. The Panthers going into that game were three and five and almost won in Kansas City. That should be a wake up call to Kansas City, not just because they've already lost a game, but to show other teams this is how you beat them. Watch out, Kansas City. You're not you're not unbeatable anymore. And it, it's worth mentioning that if Salai were kicking indoors or there wasn't any wind out that day, he would have set the new NFL long for a field goal. I What was it, a 68-yarder? And he had the distance, the wind. It just, just went wide right. I, I, it looked like the wind just picked up mid-flight and pushed it wide to the right. Exactly. If that game, that game was too close. And if you're Kansas City, you're not happy about that. Josh Allen and the Seahawks, or, or pardon me, in the Bills, beating the Seahawks in what a lot of people think was the battle of the two most likely candidates for MVP in the league this year. Uh, we would like to send our condolences to Josh Allen and his family. Uh, his grandmother passed away the night before the game. And uh, we are deeply sorry. I have lost uh, my grandparents, and I know how much that hurts. Our condolences, sir. But, you know, sometimes losing a loved one is the greatest motivation because you want to win that game for them. And win it, they did. And, and wow, Buffalo goes and beats Seattle 44-34 to in Buffalo. To advance to seven and two on the year. Josh Allen, 31 for 38, 415, and three touchdowns. Russell Wilson, on the other hand, 28 for 41 for 390 yards, two touchdowns, and two interceptions. Josh Allen put on a show on Sunday. And I mean, 
say what you want about the Seattle defense and how, how porous it's been. Jamal Adams was back and Buffalo just dismantled this Seattle team. So I, I have to ask, is Buffalo proving that they're legit? Is this the rust coming off of Josh Allen? I, I believe so. I think Josh Allen is, as of right now, Josh Allen is the best quarterback to come out of that uh, draft class. Uh, we'll see what happens. Um, but he is really starting to look like a superstar, and we'll we'll just set, we'll see what he does throughout the season. But he just looks and he's acting so confident that he could easily just take this team to length length the bills haven't seen since they lost four back to back to back to back super bowls i i gotta kind of poke at something for just a second and you said that josh allen may be the best quarterback in his draft class just to paint the picture his draft class included baker mayfield sam darnold josh rosen and lamar jackson of those four quarterbacks, and I'm not counting Josh Allen in this, Josh Allen make five. Of the four quarterbacks, one of them has been to the postseason. One of them has a major award attached to them in the form of an MVP. One of those quarterbacks is not a starter in the NFL. One of those quarterbacks is about to not be a starter in the NFL. And the other is Baker Mayfield. Baker Mayfield will stay the starter for Cleveland for a little while. I'm talking Sam Darnold with the Jets, who most people believe will be traded for Trevor Lawrence this coming April. And Josh Rosen, who is on the practice squad for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Lamar Jackson, the starter of the Ravens, has an MVP under his belt and has lost two playoff starts. Josh Rosen, or not Josh Rosen, Josh Allen has been to one postseason appearance and he lost. Josh Allen compared to Lamar Jackson as a better overall quarterback. And what I mean by that, Lamar Jackson can run and nobody will ever take that away from him. Lamar Jackson can run. His bugaboo has been throwing the ball. Josh Allen has run a little bit and throws. He's got a cannon for an arm. And on top of that, this Buffalo team has started to build around him. Josh Allen was my pick to be the MVP this year at the beginning of the season, the two, three games that he didn't look all that good is one thing he didn't, he played against the chiefs and that was a tough game. And you know, you, you play against the Patriots and the jets, but the Titans game too, you don't look all that good. The Seattle game needs to be the start of something, but mark my words. It, this MVP conversation at the end of the year is going to come down to Lamar Jackson versus Josh Allen. And I think that you could see Josh Allen pull it off. I think so too. I think he's got a really good shot. Uh, we'll go from there to Indianapolis, Lucas oil stadium Ravens win after a close start. Uh, they only had 55 total yards of offense in the first half, the lowest they have had in the Lamar Jackson era uh, and their first seven points were scored off a scoop and score after Philip Rivers had a completed pass. It was fumbled. And then 
just to the house, Rivers missed a... <laughs> it's almost become a meme already, an instant meme, missing a tackle, laying flat on his back, almost looking like a turtle for a second. But I think it just goes to prove teams are starting to figure out Lamar Jackson and the Ravens. The Colts just didn't have enough to push them through. Yeah, I, I, I agree. And Baltimore, for the most part, did not look all that good. And I might chalk this one up to the fact that the Steelers game was last week. This is a team that game planned for that and lost. And that was that was a heartbreaker to lose to Pittsburgh. And I'll, I'll give them that. But for Indianapolis, you're at home. You're holding Lamar Jackson. This defense was equipped and able to do it. Lamar Jackson had 58 rushing yards. And that's the way you beat him is you make him throw the ball. And you did at 170 yards. All things considered, this is a game that you should have won. Do you know where you went wrong, though? Turnovers. Two of them. You already mentioned the fumble that ended up be becoming six points right there. Seven, including the Justin Tucker kick afterwards. But Philip Rivers threw an interception. And when you turn over the ball, good teams will make you pay. You take away the 14 points associated with the turnovers. And it's a 14 to 10 game. You give the Baltimore Ravens hope when you turn the ball over, and you cannot do that. This Colts team should have beaten Baltimore at home, and the stats will show you that. You're, you're very right. The Ravens looked very beatable for really the third or fourth time this season since the Kansas City game. They've looked beatable. From there, we will go down to San Francisco, Levi's Stadium. Packers get a big bounce-back win uh, after following or they lost to the Vikings last week, right? That is correct. After losing to the Vikings. And really, the Packers need to find their identity. That's the whole thing in this game. They looked like they were starting to, but... This division, for some reason, is actually really competitive. And they if the Packers don't find an identity soon, they are going to flounder. Here's the thing with the Packers. The Packers are playing with a little bit of a mixture of COVID-19 sickness, as well as the fact that this, this staff has not allowed Aaron Rodgers to do what he needs to do. Um, the Packers got blessed this week. Aaron Jones was able to play. The Packers were blessed this week that they played the San Francisco 49ers, who, by the way, were without George Kittle, Jimmy Garoppolo, and that's not even including Nick Bosa, Solomon Thomas, and the rest of the injured second secondary and defense of this 49ers team. That being said, the Packers did exactly what they needed to do in a dominating performance over the San Francisco 49ers this past weekend, or this past week. They played Thursday night. Now, you're very right. The Green Bay Packers need to establish some form of chemistry, some form of consistency, I should rephrase. And they're going to get the opportunity to. Their next couple of games, they have to play the Jaguars, the Colts, the Bears, the Eagles, the Lions, the Panthers, the Titans, and the Bears. 
the last three weeks of their schedule are going to be what determines it. Now, Aaron Rodgers is playing well, but he's making mistakes. And that's because Aaron Rodgers is feeling the pressure that he needs to be making a play every single time. And you can't do that. That's why you get teams like the Broncos with Peyton Manning or the Steelers with Ben Roethlisberger right now. You get a dominating defense and you make sure that your veteran quarterback doesn't have to be making all these plays. Aaron Rodgers is being forced to make plays, and that's because all he's got around him is Aaron Jones and Devontae Adams. Occasionally, you'll get like an Alan Lazard um, or a Jamal Williams to go and help you out. But for the most part, th- this team needs help. And and this team didn't really give it to him. Devin Funches opted out of the season. And then not drafting a receiver, not trading for Will Fuller at the deadline, I think that's going to come back to haunt him. They're lucky that the Bears just lost this week, but th- this playoff picture is starting to come together. And for the Packers' sake, I hope it still includes them. Another NFC North team. It just keeps getting interesting. Vikings beating the Lions. Matt Stafford, who had just come off the COVID uh, reserve list after testing or having being uh, close to somebody who had tested positive, I should say, he ends up getting hurt, and the Lions just don't really have a reliable backup quarterback. But that puts Minnesota at uh, three and five on the season. They're still very much in that hunt, especially already beating Green Bay once. Uh, We'll see what they can do. But like I said, the NFC North, Green Bay, six and two. The Bears, five and four. Minnesota, three and five. And so are the Lions at three and five. That could change really quick. We could see Minnesota make a run for the NFC North. I don't think you'll see it. I don't think you'll see that at all. The Packers are still there. The Packers aren't going going away. If you think the Packers are going to lose twice to the Minnesota Vikings, you're you're crazy. And the Chicago Bears, they're not all that bad either. The Bears just don't have an offense. Um, the, the Bears need to find their offensive identity. And plus, don't sleep on the Lions. The Lions are not bad. The Lions actually might make the postseason. I like the Lions to win the seventh seed in the postseason. But so, they need Matt Stafford. They do need Matt Stafford. This season does depend on it, and that's because of the fact that Matt Stafford is a lot like Aaron Rodgers in the respect that he has to be making the plays. DeAndre Swift has looked good. They're starting to get a run game going. Kenny Galladay needs to get that extension because he's deserved it. Marvin Jones, you're probably losing in free agency. TJ Hawkinson is a nice young piece. Matthew Stafford needs to be protected at all costs. Keep surrounding him with playmakers, just like Joe Burrow now has in Cincinnati and now Baker Mayfield does in Cleveland. Give your quarterbacks weapons so they can get that ball out quickly. That's the way that you're going to win with with Matt Stafford and the Lions. And you can back up a defense that's still getting worked on. That's all you need. That's all you need if you're Detroit. That's all you need. We'll move on to the woes of the Washington football team. Kyle Allen is done for the season after going down in a loss to the New York Giants. 
Uh, so we saw Alex Smith come in and play for the football team again. Well, Daniel Jones didn't look too bad. 23-34 with a touchdown pass in that really weird division, the NFC East. I don't know how much longer the football team can go without starting Danny, uh, Dwayne Haskins. Well, let, let me throw something towards New York really quick before I touch on Washington. I got to give some credit to Joe Judge. Joe Judge was highly criticized going into this season for New York. Everybody thought, oh, it's just another uh, Belichick disciple. Oh, this wasn't a good signing. Why did you go and get the wide receiver coach for the Patriots to come coach the Giants? And honestly, he hasn't done that bad. He has not done that bad with a team that he has inherited. I mean, look, Daniel Jones may or may not be the future in New York. He may or may not be. I think you might see a Daniel Jones kind of be like Mitchell Trubisky. Daniel Jones needs to keep developing and you need to give him his weapons because you took away Odell Beckham from him. This year, Saquon Barkley is gone. This is a good gauge for some of these young guys, these uh, young running backs. Evan Ingram is still one of the better young tight ends in the NFL. Sterling Shepard and Darius Slayton aren't that bad, but you need to go and get a, a true number one talent out there. Darius Slayton's good in the slot or maybe as a second string guy. I would not place him at a one at a number one. Sterling Shepard's the same way, and plus he's been very injury prone. This offensive line needs work, but the defense... This defense is not bad at all. Blake Martinez was probably the best signing you could have had this offseason. The Giants aren't that bad. The Giants are not that bad. They're just getting destroyed because of the fact that their offense can't keep pace. The defense still needs work, that being said, but overall, this Giants team is not bad. Now, to Washington. Alex Smith is the starter. Ron Rivera has all but stated that Dwayne Haskins is gone. Dwayne Haskins is not going to be the starter in Washington. And I don't know if that's because he just hasn't been playing to what Ron Rivera wants. I don't know if that's just because Ron Rivera liked Kyle Allen better, which is probably why Ron Rivera brought him from Carolina to Washington with him. I don't know. I don't, I don't know what the future holds for Washington, but that is Alex Smith's job to lose, in my opinion. We'll move on to our newest segment in the show, the Smitties. This is the segment where I will give Zach a prompt and he will give us the answer. And the first prompt, the Smitty. We'll try this again. The Simon Cal from Shrek 2, Far, Far Away Idol Smitty for winner of the week goes to... Oh, this, this is tough. But, you know, if, if I had to give a winner of the week to anybody, I'd probably give it to Carolina. Now, I know what you're thinking. Oh, why why Carolina? Carolina just lost to the to the Chiefs. And, oh, no, what, what, what are you doing, Zach? You should stop. Carolina looked really, really good. Really good. This, this game was 17-13 at the half. You take that third quarter away and Carolina's up by a point, more than a point. You take away that third quarter and a lot's changed. Carolina had 
all the pieces there to beat the Chiefs this week fell a little short. But if if I'm head coach Matt Rule, if I am a Panthers fan, if I am anybody, Teddy Bridgewater and the Carolina Panthers are my biggest winners this week for not only staying up with the Chiefs and setting a blueprint for how to beat them, but showing the the NFL world, the Carolina Panthers this year and beyond are not that far out. The next Smitty, the Ace Ventura Smitty for loser of the week goes to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. This should be an easy award for anybody. Look, you have Tom Brady, and I, I have gone public and apologized. Um, I, I have been a hater of Tom Brady. Um, call it my my love for my fan base. I'm a Steelers fan. I'm allowed to. Um, although I don't like the fact that Tom Brady has beaten the Steelers all these years, I have respect for him. Tom Brady is the GOAT. Tom Brady is the best quarterback to ever do it. And he got to go up against another quarterback who could be considered a GOAT. Tom Brady and Drew Brees have been going back and forth for most touchdowns all time for the past couple of weeks. And the Buccaneers got destroyed. They got destroyed week one against the Saints, and they got destroyed this week against the Saints. And this was in Tampa Bay. You have Antonio Brown now if you're Tampa Bay. All these weapons around Tom Brady, and you can only put up three points against the Saints defense that does not look good this year? Come on, dude. Tom Brady, you have an offense that is Mike Evans, Chris Godwin, Antonio Brown, Scotty Miller, Rob Gronkowski, Cameron Bray, Ronald Jones, Leonard Fournette. And you're telling me that you can't even put up a touchdown? Mike Evans had four catches for 64 yards, led all receivers in this game. The Saints got Emmanuel Sanders and Michael Thomas back, but Michael Thomas didn't catch a touchdown. If I had to choose the biggest loser of this week, it's Tampa Bay. For the reason being that when push comes to shove, this Buccaneers team falters a lot. And now for the Steve Urkel Smitty, for the most mediocre performance of the week. Mediocrity. Mediocrity. And I'm staying with this New Orleans Saints-Tampa Bay game. Tom Brady. Tom Brady. This, this team starts and ends with you. But you're not the most mediocre performance. Your running game is. Haha, I pulled a sneaky on you. This Tampa Bay Buccaneers team will surprise you with their rushing yardage. All right. Their leading rusher had three carries for nine yards. The Tampa Bay rushing attack, five carries, eight yards. With seven of those coming on one run. If you want to talk about the biggest disappointment, the most mediocre performance, it's the Tampa Bay Buccaneers run game. Mike Evans had Marshawn Lattimore on him. I'll give him a mild pass. Chris Godwin is coming and playing with a broken finger. I will give him a mild pass. Antonio Brown hasn't played in over a year. I will give him a mild pass. The receiving game put up 209 yards. Not bad. Not bad. 
22 for 38 for Tom Brady, 209 for, with three interceptions. And I, I'm not going to give him a pass because Tom Brady's got to play better. But you have to be able to run the ball. You have to be able to run the ball. And, you know, when you look at it, eight yards? Come on, man. Come on. And finally, the learning that the best animated feature Academy Award was created for Shrek Smitty for the biggest surprise of the week goes to the Miami Dolphins. First of all, we got to really watch the wordiness of some of these awards. My goodness. (laughs) But you want to talk about a team that's a surprise right now? The Miami Dolphins are five and three. Five and three. They benched Ryan Fitzpatrick, and you and I sat here, Jacob, and we we were very skeptical about it. We were very skeptical. Why are you playing Tua? Why are you playing Tua? Last week, it was his defense and special teams that carried that game. This week, the defense did step up, but Tua, 20 for 28, 248, two touchdowns. This Miami Dolphins team that, for the most part, was told, you're going to stink this year. Not only are you ahead of the Patriots in the N- or in the AFC East, you're sitting in a potential playoff spot right now. You just beat the Cardinals who beat the, C- the Seahawks last week. The Arizona Cardinals have beaten the 49ers. They've beaten the Cowboys and the Seahawks. Those are the notable wins. Of course, they've also beaten Washington and the Jets. But you want to talk about biggest surprise of the week? Miami going into Glendale, Arizona and winning 34 to 31 over Kyler Murray. Congratulations, Miami. You are a playoff caliber team. And another great rendition of the Smitties. Zach, I'm sorry about the wordiness of the last one, but I thought it might get a laugh. (laughs) Oh, believe me, it was it was a laugh, but we got to watch the wordiness on this, man. We'll move on to the NBA, and I don't know if it's official yet, but we're looking at a December 22nd start date. It is official. I'm getting the thumbs up from Zach. So, December 22nd will be the start, and with the start of the season three days before Christmas, will there be Christmas Day games for the NBA this year? I think so. I think so. I mean, you're, you're looking at... The, the day that the NBA circles on their calendar. And I mean, it's going to be really nice to get to see it again. This, the, the football year world has Thanksgiving. The baseball world has the 4th of July basketball. You get Christmas. And I, I would be very, very shocked to see it happen. Um, you, you look at what everything is going to look like this year Um, with the season being kind of crazy. We're going to have to wait and see because it's going to be very determined, very much so determined by COVID-19, but the, the NBA announcing um, because the playoffs started in August rather than earlier in the summer, um, the start of the regular season was delayed. Uh, and as of right now is tentatively dis- uh, scheduled to start on December 22nd. Uh, tentatively, I guess is the right thing to go about it. So 
I would sit here and I would hope. I would hope that we would see basketball on Christmas. But if basketball is starting on the 22nd, for sure you will see basketball on Christmas. And the NBA draft coming up on the 18th, very later than it usually is. Um, Zach and I, we'll, we're going to mull the idea, but maybe you might see some uh, draft projections, mock drafts. Who knows? We'll see what we do, but we're definitely going to talk more about the NBA draft next week. But right now, who's going to come out of the gate swinging come December 22nd? It's it's weird because you got to look at what free agency is going to come. And that's the biggest part is that free agency starts right after the draft. Um, it's 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 important. It's important to look at because there's a couple of guys who could be on the move and there are teams that could really push. So I'm going to give you a team from the east and a team from the west that I think is going to come out hot. Just to keep it fair on the west. I'm looking towards that Pacific, and that's a a tough division. You're looking at the Golden State Warriors, the LA Clippers, the Lakers, the Suns, the Kings. That's a tough, tough division. But the team that I think is going to surprise a lot of people this year is the team that went undefeated in the NBA bubble. That's the Phoenix Suns. Look, Phoenix has gone through its woes. They've started its rebuild. They finished 34 and 39 this past season. They barely missed out on going into the playoffs. They barely missed it. And this is a team that's got Devin Booker, Ricky Rubio, DeAndre Ayton. This is not that bad of a team. This is a team that is is built. It's probably missing about a piece or two. I'd love to see a star go there, like one more. Like th- this is their starting rotation right now: Ricky Rubio, Devin Booker, Mikal Bridges, Kelly Oubre Jr., and DeAndre Ayton. I'd love to see one more strong forward go over there. But other than that, I, I like what Phoenix is doing, and I think you could see them come out swinging. Now, in the East, because I said I'd do one of each. In the East, the team that I would keep a hot, a heavy, heavy eye on is the Atlanta Hawks, and the reason being is Trey Young. I think Trey Young has started to make his push. Uh, 20 and 47, fifth in the Southeast last year. You still have a pretty young squad. You've got DeAndre Hunter. You traded for Clint Capella. But it's it's a young team that's growing and moving and maturing. And I think you could see them active in free agency, active in a trade market, going and getting another guard for Trey Young. But I like Atlanta. I think that they're going to go and start hot. Well, I'll start in the East, Zach. Um, cause I think you're going to give me a little bit of flack for this one, but I think the team that comes out swinging, I'm not saying they're a playoff team. I'm not saying they're going to do anything in the postseason. I'm just saying, I think they're going to start the season strong is the Cleveland Cavaliers. You got the lottery pick coming in. We'll see who it is. Colin Sexton really have started coming into his own before COVID hit last season. You've got Andre Drummond for at least another year and Kevin Love. I think this is a team that can make some waves in the early part of the season. That being said, when you go to the West Coast, I do have to agree with you with the Phoenix Suns. They played in the bubble, but not the playoff portion of the bubble. I think they are by far the most equipped team in the West outside of Golden State and both LA teams to make a run for the NBA title next year. 
or this upcoming season. I'm interested to hear your opinion on my Cavs pick, though. So I, I I'm I like the Cavs pick just a bit, um, as this is a team that is also building. Uh, Nineteen and forty-six. You mentioned that there is a lottery pick coming. They obviously saw something in Darius Garland last year to bring him in. Overall, the starting group for Cleveland does not look all that bad. Darius Garland, Colin Sexton, and Andre Drummond are really good. Colin Sexton making the rookie team his rookie season. You got two really good, or you got a really good uh, small forward in Kevin Porter Jr., who you brought in in the draft last year. And on top of that, Larry Nance Jr., your power forward looks really good. Um, I think it's time to move on from K Love. I think it's time. Um, and, and that's not. Any disrespect to Kevin Love, Kevin Love helped bring a city to the ch- uh, a, a, the championship to the city of Cleveland with LeBron and Kyrie Irving, and Kevin Love has played really well. But if, if this team wants to start doing well again, they need to start looking to shed some of these really expensive contracts, and that's why you saw. I think you're going to see them lose Tristan Thompson. Um, Thompson is a good defensive player for the Cavs, but I don't know if he's the offensive future that you want to see. Um, Kevin Love, I think, deserves a good farewell. Maybe this might be, I'm going to guess this is his last season in Cleveland. Uh, he is too expensive. You can let Kevin Love walk and extend Andre Drummond, who is one of the better centers in the NBA, and go and either take your chances with Larry Nance running the show at your power forward spot, or maybe let Kevin Porter go and run it for a little bit, or Chetty Osman go and run it for a little bit. Um, I think that you could see Cleveland start out hot, but this draft has to go perfectly. So look for probably a replacement power forward and maybe a, a deep shot on somebody in free agency. And one thing I always like to mention is Larry Nance Jr. His dad played for the Cavs back in the day. Great guy. Love his Twitter feed, by the way. Uh, he's had some real gems on there in the past. And now it's time for everyone's favorite segment, underreaction or overreaction, where Zach and I will take turns asking each other questions, and we will say, is that an underreaction or is it an overreaction? An overreaction is an overreaction. An underreaction is something that is plausible. And we'll start off with Zach Smith and this question. The Steelers have now cemented themselves as the clear number one in the AFC and the NFL. Okay, this is hard. This is this is very, 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 very hard to do. And I am going to say that this is an overreaction ever so slightly. Now, I said what I said. The Steelers have answered every single time somebody has issued them a challenge. Uh, the beginning portion of the season, it was beat somebody with a winning record. You haven't played anybody all that good. You started the year playing the Giants, Broncos, Texans, and Eagles, and you almost lost to the Eagles and the Broncos. So beat a winning team, and they demolished Cleveland 38-7. to Then the critics said, okay, you beat Cleveland, but oh, Cleveland is never all that good. Go beat somebody really good. Go beat Tennessee. And they did. It wasn't a pretty game, but in Tennessee, the Steelers won 27-24. Then the question was said, okay, you beat Tennessee. Now go beat the reigning MVP in Baltimore. And Baltimore lost 28-24 in Baltimore to the Steelers. Those two games were hard fought. 
And then the Steelers were two touchdown favorites over the Dallas Cowboys and won by five. And yeah, you're tired after the Ravens win. And yeah, you're tired having not had a bye since week four. But if you're the Pittsburgh Steelers, you have arguably the greatest coach of all time in Mike Tomlin, who passed Tony Dungy with the win over the Ravens for most wins by an African-American coach in NFL history. With the win over the Cowboys, Mike Tomlin has secured for the next time in his career, 14 seasons, he has never had a losing season as a head coach. And with the win being 8-0, he will not have a losing season this year. He clinched that. That's a f- awesome to himself. That's a Hall the of Steelers fame team career. has a fantastic... Oh, for sure. The Steelers' defense is among the best in the NFL. The Steelers' offense looks good. This offensive line need, needs a break, but they look good. Roethlisberger getting the ball out of his hands faster than anybody in the NFL. And this receiving room, Chase Claypool, Juju Smith-Schuster, Deontay Johnson, James Washington looks awesome. Eric Ebron coming back looks good. This team needs to get healthy. And for me, for the Steelers to cement it, the Steelers have to beat the Ravens on Thanksgiving. Now, it's another question that you got to add to the Steelers' resume. But if if I'm going to consider this Steelers team legit, which, believe me, I think the Steelers are going to the Super Bowl, and I'm saying it right here, right now. We are recording this on the 9th of November. The Steelers will be in the Super Bowl come February. They are my pick. Okay. I'm saying it not because I'm a Steelers fan, but I'm saying it because this is the most well-balanced team in the NFL. If everybody is healthy, the Steelers are in the Super Bowl. I think that they have shown that they are the top of the class, but they're not even favored to win their division yet. The Ravens are still considered favorites. If the Steelers beat the Ravens, they will not only pass the Chiefs, but they will be the best team in the NFL. For right now, that is an underreaction, but, or no, that's an overreaction for now, but ever so slightly. After Thanksgiving, when the Steelers win that game, I will be changing that to an over or to an underreaction. And the Steelers are the best team in the NFL. Thank you. <laughs> All right. Overreaction or underreaction? The Dallas Cowboys will draft a quarterback in this upcoming draft. This is an underreaction but it's not going to be a starting quarterback. They're going to draft a late round guy simply because look at the, look at the quarterback situation right now. Dak Prescott, uh, we all hope he bounces back from his injury, but we don't know if he's going to or not. Andy Dalton, he's out with concussion. They're starting a guy who last started in the Alliance of American football uh, back in, for the, was it the Vipers, I think? I think they said the Tampa Bay Vipers. So, I think the Cowboys will draft a quarterback, but it will not be a starting quarterback. It might be... Garrett some- Gilbert looked great! I don't know. Like I think it's... I think it was mainly because it's a trap game for the Steelers, but I think... 
even thinking moving if Dak Prescott decides to leave in free agency. I don't think that Gilbert or Dalton can be the full-time starter for this team in the future, but I don't think they're going to be drafting a starter for next year. So this is going to be my opinion back towards you on this. As of right now, the Dallas Cowboys own the third overall pick in this draft. If Dak Prescott walks away in free agency, walks away, which he can do, I don't think you'll see it. I do not think you'll see that uh, Dak Prescott leave the Cowboys. He wants to be a Cowboy. But as of right now, the Cowboys hold the third overall pick. The Jaguars, who have the second pick, realistically speaking, will not win another game this season. They have to go to Green Bay, play the Steelers at Jacksonville. They have the Browns in Jacksonville. They have the Vikings, the Titans, the Ravens, the Bears, and the Colts. Realistically speaking, the Jacksonville Jaguars will not win another game this year. But Trey Lance will be on that board at pick three, I think. Do I think the Cowboys will draft a quarterback? I'm going to say no. And that's because Garrett Gilbert looked good. Now, if Dak Prescott walks away, oh, yeah, that third pick is a quarterback. Oh, yeah. But assuming Dak comes back, no, you don't draft the QB. We're going to skip this next one because we kind of already mentioned it. The Falcons will make the NFL playoffs over the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Underreaction or overreaction? Okay. Don't hate me, America. I'm going to say that this is an overreaction. Now, the Falcons have started to look a little bit better uh, ever since they fired Dan Quinn. And I think that's because this offense got the training wheels taken off of it. Now, Matt Ryan is still pretty good. And... You know, the wide receiving room is still solid, too. Calvin Ridley, Julio Jones, Russell Gage. Uh, the addition of Hayden Hurst and the trade with the uh, Ravens in the offseason was by far a great move. Uh, that being said, this defense is still giving up a lot of holes, but I won't say it's impossible for the Falcons to make it into the postseason. However, I don't think you're seeing the Falcons in the postseason this year, as crazy as it is to say. I still think, though, that Atlanta comes close to 500. I think you see them come close, maybe like a, a, a six and 10 or a seven and nine type season. I still think Tampa Bay is going to make the postseason. I say this is an overreaction. Yeah, I agree with you on that. I just don't see any way the Falcons can make the postseason. There is a way for it to happen, but it would, it would enable them to have to beat the saints and then beat the Buccaneers twice. So I I don't know if you'll see Atlanta do that. I think they can do it, but I'm saying this is an overreaction. Overreaction or underreaction to you, sir. The Miami Dolphins will win the AFC East by beating the Bills in week 17. This is an underreaction. I'm not saying it's an underreaction because it's going to happen. I'm saying it because this is a very plausible scenario if you look at each team's remaining schedule. In that last meetup in Week 17, one, I think that's going to be one of the premier games of the NFL this season. A back and forth between the rookie Tua trying to make a name for his, himself and Josh Allen trying to cement himself as a franchise quarterback in Buffalo. I'm not saying it's going to happen. I'm saying it could happen and it is a realistic possibility. Excuse me, sir. When did this become plausible or not plausible? 
This is overreaction or underreaction. It's either yes, this is happening, or no, this is not happening. Is it going to happen? Will the Dolphins win Week 17 to beat the Bills, or will they not? Okay, then I'm going to go back to our default. It's a reaction. You and your reactions. You do it too. Don't tell. Don't. I did it once. Once, buddy. You can't tell me that this is not a very plausible scenario we could see in Week 17. Um. That's because it's not a plausible situation. It's not going to happen. This Buffalo Bills team is 7-2. and two. Buffalo has to play a Chargers team that is struggling, an injured 49ers team. They still have the Patriots. They get to play the Broncos. The only two games that I could see Buffalo losing is to the Steelers or to the Cardinals. That's it. The 49ers, I don't think, will be a problem. And you're talking a situation where the Dolphins might be playing the backups in Buffalo. I don't see any way, shape, or form that Miami is vying for the division come week 17. I mean, Miami... Go ahead. Miami's looked good, but no. (laughs) No, that's an overreaction. Overreaction or underreaction? Arizona, the Cardinals, will win the NFC West. Overreaction. Overreaction. Arizona looks good, but overreaction. You still have to go up against Russell Wilson, and I know that you saw Arizona beat Russell Wilson already. This was in Glendale. You still have to take on the Seahawks in seattle and it's not with the 12th man which is going to hurt this team but you look at Arizona's schedule still they again they have the bills they have the seahawks in seattle the patriots in foxborough the rams at the giants the eagles the 49ers and at the rams arizona's got a tough little stretch but arizona as much as they've shown me good things this year they have kind of left me scratching my head a couple of times i look back to the lions game the lions won that game 26 to 23 in glendale with fans and i i I don't think that arizona should have lost that one they just lost in glendale to the dolphins and i i you shouldn't lose that one if you're a playoff caliber team on the other side of it seattle still has russell wilson now yeah seattle doesn't have all that much of a defense and their running backs are hurt but you got DK Metcalf. I don't see any way, shape, or form the Seattle Seahawks are not atop the NFC West in at the end of the year. Now, I think the Cardinals will make the postseason. I'll give you that. But you will not win the division. Okay, yeah, that's a good take. So, let, let me throw this at you now. Overreaction or underreaction? Let's see. I, I, I want to throw a fun one at you. The NBA playoff teams that just played, so like the Lakers, the Clippers, the, the Heat, they're going to be rested enough to play a full season after a late end. This is, this is a hard one for me. I think this is an underreaction. I think we're going to see these teams come out to a slower start because they are not as rested. 
And I just, I don't see it going. And I think it part of it has to go with the new draft picks. They're only going to know their team for about a month before the season starts. I don't think they're going to be ready with one, no NBA summer league. And two, like I said, they're not going to know much about their team. There's a big adjustment from college ball to the NBA in rules and the length of game to an extent, you're going eight more minutes in the pros than you are in the NCAA. And a lot of people are going to say, oh, that's not very many. But I mean, eight minutes with some of the best athletes in the world, that's like trying to run a two minute mile to a lot of us, which is physically impossible. I, I do not think a lot of these playoff teams are going to come out of the gates really well. I don't think they're going to play the full season really well. I think the only exception we're going to see is the Lakers, and that's just because LeBron James is a freak of nature. I, I agree with that, and I'm going to point to the NFL and look at the rookies. The NFL had players switch teams. They had new players come into the teams, and you don't have the chemistry. On the field, you've got 11 guys out there. Some, Most of those guys are going to have been in the organization or can tell you something or at least like look at Tom Brady. He's played, but he didn't have the chemistry with Mike Evans or Chris Godwin or Scotty Miller. But you look at the NBA, you got five guys out on that court. And especially for some of these teams that are young and organized around new players like the Mavs, the Cavs. You've got the Pistons who are still really young, the Chicago Bulls who are really young. These types of teams need time to develop chemistry. Now, you're going to see like the Lakers and probably the Heat come off to a hot start as long as a lot of their guys come back because you're looking at teams that played like a month or two ago. But at the same time, the NBA players are not going to be as fired up. You're going to see a lot of advantage go towards the teams that did not play that got to rest their bodies, that got to re-energize, go see their families, go relax a little bit. I, I don't see a situation where anybody's well-rested, but I, I agree with your statement completely. I don't think you're going to see draft picks ready, and I don't think that you're going to see overall players be ready for this season. Overreaction or underreaction, Zach? If or when Trevor Lawrence is drafted by the Jets... He will be made the highest paid rookie of all time. When the Jets draft Trevor Lawrence this season, because Trevor Lawrence is going to the NFL this year. This is an underreaction because if you don't, if you don't turn to a guy like Trevor Lawrence, who is being praised as a generational type quarterback coming out of college, he's the blue chip guy. Everybody's dreaming of. If the New York Jets do not make him the highest paid quarterback, or I should rephrase, the highest paid rookie in the NFL or in its history, he won't sign the contract. You're going to see a situation where this guy is going to turn to you and say, nope, I will not sign this. There is nothing for him in New York. This team got stripped to the bones. You traded away Le'Veon Bell for scrap, or you let him go. You traded away Jamal Adams. You got first-round picks out of him. Very smart of you. But you you look at this offense, and all you really have is a shiny new left tackle, Makai Becton. Sam Darnold's been banged up. This offense, is their starting running back is Frank Gore. 
your wide receivers, I mean, Denzel Mims, we, I can't really give you an opinion on him because of the fact that he is still new in the NFL and he just is coming off of an injury. But you got Jamison Crowder. This offense doesn't have a lot around him. And if I'm Trevor Lawrence, you turn to him and or you turn to this team and you say, I'll come play with you, but I need to, you to meet some conditions of mine. You need to let me pick some players that I get, you know, turn into free agency, maybe something similar along the lines of what the Bengals did for Joe Burrow. Joe Burrow got the call like a few days before the draft, letting him know that he's going to be a Cincinnati Bengal. He had a jersey and stuff at his house that day. So you, you look at it maybe that way. You turn and you, you give him the type of format that like a Tom Brady or a Philip Rivers or a Ben Roethlisberger has. You turn to them and say, what do you need for this team? What do you want for this team? So you're, you're going to have to give Trevor Lawrence some serious control here over this offense. Fire Adam Gase, draft Trevor Lawrence, give him a good coach to work with, and let this coach and Trevor Lawrence work together to build the New York Jets for the future. There are pieces, but not a lot because you've traded them all away. Yeah, I, I agree with that. Uh, one, Do you think Dabo Sweeney would be tempted to leave uh, Clemson? I don't know, and I'm going to say no. But I'm, I'm going to say I don't know. Um, it, it's the same thing with Lincoln Riley. And the question of, oh, will like the Browns go get Lincoln Riley and bring him to the NFL to coach Baker Mayfield again? I don't think you'll see Dabo leave. Dabo is very successful in Clemson. He's got a lot of history in Clemson. And at the same time, I don't think he'd come to the NFL for New York. Now, that being said, maybe say the Jets turn and offer him a quite a lucrative deal. Maybe you see it. Trevor Lawrence is going to get a lucrative deal if he goes to the Jets. It's a small market town, but Trevor Lawrence is a big name that'll bring stuff there. Look at what Tua has done for Miami. So um, I think it would be a tempting offer for Dabo, but that's like saying, do you think Nick Saban would go to the NFL to go coach Trevor Lawrence? No. Not a chance. So I'm going to say that Dabo Sweeney is not leaving Clemson for Trevor Lawrence and the New York Jets. Well, I've got an overreaction, underreaction for you. The Smith and Seidel Show will be back on Friday to talk some NCAA athletics. That's an underreaction. I'm sure those of you that listen uh, on a regular basis realize that Zach and I didn't touch any college football this week. Uh, And that's because this week we wanted to try something new and see how it works. We're splitting up our pro and our college sports. Pro will happen in the early early part of the week, and college will happen at the later end of the week, at least for this week. We're going to see how it goes. Let us know if you like it. Find us on our Discord server. Just search Smith & Seidel. And you can find us on our Twitter page, at Smith & Seidel. And that's Let gonna- us know how we're doing. Do you agree with our picks, our overreaction, underreactions? Ha ha, I beat you to the punch. You almost got us signed out. No, I want to know opinions. Tell us how we're doing. Tell us your thoughts. And maybe, just maybe, we'll tell your opinions on air here through our podcasts, uh, through our conversations. And maybe, just maybe, we'll let you talk for the live stream. We'll have to wait and see. And that's going to just about do it for us. Any final thoughts, Zach? Go Steelers, baby. 8-0. Well, thank you to Zach Smith for another great uh, rendition of our podcast. 
uh, with some great talking points once again. Our intro and outro music is by Bobby Quinn Creative Music Production. He's highly recommended by the Smith Insidal Show. You can find him on Fiverr.com by searching Bobby Quinn C. We'd also like to thank Dylan Hunter, a student at Bowling Green State University that created the Smith and Seidel logo. So until this weekend, I'm Jacob Seidel for Zach Smith signing off. And remember, stay safe, stay healthy, and I Ziggy Zumba.